This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. Today's one of those shows that I'm just not sure which direction it's going to take. This should come as no surprise to longtime listeners. As often as not, we don't know what direction this show is going to take, but we shall do our best to make sure that it does not go south. On that note, let's jump into the show as we like to do each week with our feature on this date in history. The date in question today is the 28th of June. And it was on June 28th in 1820, believe it or not, that scientists disproved the popular belief that the tomato was poisonous. This date in 1838, Queen Victoria, who had in fact ruled the British Empire for a year since the death of her uncle, was crowned in Westminster Abbey. She lived long enough to see her diamond jubilee, 60 years on the throne, which Queen Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth II, that is, has now equaled. On June 28th in 1888, Robert Louis Stevenson, the Scottish author of the great seafaring tale Treasure Island, left San Francisco on his first voyage to the South Seas. He would settle in Samoa, where he died in 1894. The U.S. Congress on this date in 1894 established a workers' holiday, now called Labor Day. It was to be celebrated the first Monday in September. On June 28, 1947, the University of California at Berkeley won the first College World Series baseball championship. Our Golden Bears beat Yale 8-7 in the final. Playing first base at Yale was future president George Herbert Walker Bush, who, as I understand it, couldn't hit worth a damned. On June 28, 1957, Secretary of State John Foster Dulles says the United States will never recognize Red China which he characterized as a temporary government. Well, of course, it turned out never is a very long time. And thanks to a few intelligence-connected Republicans in the 1970s, prominent among them Yale first baseman George Herbert Walker Bush, the door was opened to Red China, which is now, of course, busy buying up the U.S. economy. And on June 28, 1961, as a prelude to the first U.S. manned space flight, NASA put a 16-pound chimpanzee into orbit. When informed of this fact, apparently the, the Brotherhood of Test Pilots down at uh, Edwards Air Force Base, headed by the legendary Chuck Yeager, and we would add former Radio Parallax guest, General Chuck Yeager, commented mockingly, a monkey's going to make the first flight, which did reflect their rather low opinion of NASA's method of bolting a man inside a capsule and hurtling him around the Earth, where he had little more to do with the operation of the spacecraft than did the chimpanzee. Yes, as was later so well established by Tom Wolfe in the book The Right Stuff, the Mercury astronauts were really not test pilots in the conventional sense. In fact, NASA's approach was labeled as spam in a can. And apparently, Alan Shepard had to insist that NASA at least put a window in the capsule, which rather amazingly, they had not planned to do. 
And finally, and I can't believe this was 15 years ago, on June 28, 1997, American boxer Evander Holyfield was declared the winner of a heavyweight title bout against Mike Tyson after Tyson bit off the top of Holyfield's ear and was thus disqualified. Although, in our opinion, he did somewhat make up for this atrocious behavior by his appearance in the original The Hangover. In fact, this correspondent's favorite remark from that movie still is, Mr. Tyson was asleep. If he had been awake, this would not have gone down so smoothly. In reference to the boys stealing Mike Tyson's tiger. Our quote today comes from George Bernard Shaw, who once said, The liar's punishment is not in the least that he is not believed, but that he cannot believe anyone else. Our quote of the day comes from Bob Dylan, who said, A man's a success if he gets up in the morning and he goes to bed at night and in between does what he wants to do. Which Mr. Merlin contends is one of Bob Dylan's least quotable remarks. Our joke of the day comes from Jay Leno who notes, A new book claims President Obama smoked a lot of marijuana while in college. And in a related story, an attempt to boost his street cred, Mitt Romney has admitted he once was hooked on phonics. Our stat of the week is that according to The Guardian, as diabetes rates rise worldwide, so does the illegal trade in human kidneys. The World Health Organization estimates that 10,000 black market operations a year are being performed in places like China, Pakistan, and India as doctors transplant kidneys purchased from poor donors for as little as $5,000 into richer patients paying up to $200,000. And that is one bummer of a statistic. And I think at this point we'll jump right into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to the Week magazine, it was a good week last week for Catholic reform, with the news that Paraguayan President Fernando Lugo has for the second time acknowledged paternity of a child born when he was still a Roman Catholic bishop. Lugo, age 61, renounced the priesthood in 2006. It's noted that since his 2008 election, four women have alleged that he fathered children while he was a priest. He has acknowledged paternity of one, a three-year-old boy, in 2009, but the son he recognized last week is now 10. The mother, Nariska de la Cruz, said Lugo had been financially supporting the child all along, but she filed for formal recognition because her son wanted to use his father's name. It was, on the other hand, a bad week for evidence after a new Gallup poll found that 46% of Americans believe in creationism, that God created humans in their present form within the last 10,000 years. Yes, and we hope that that stat is based on just some funny wording. And finally, it was an ugly week last week for American health care with the news that a bus driver is suing a Connecticut hospital claiming that the staff watched a baseball game instead of treating his persistent erection. 
Darren Scott went to the Yale New Haven Hospital with a painful erection that had lasted for four hours. He now claims that for an hour, the staff, including the physicians, continued to watch the baseball game and ignore the plaintiff's condition, which reputedly resulted in some lasting damage. I would note that this correspondent does have some familiarity with this problem in that I am the proprietor of a clinic that deals with men's health issues, including erectile dysfunction. And as a public service announcement, I would like to add an addendum to those ads you see on late-night television for Levitra, Cialis, and Viagra, which counsel you to contact your physician if you have an erection lasting more than four hours. And I find myself unable to uh, avoid interjecting comedian Carol Leifer's comment on that, which is, have you seen those ads on TV where, you know, if you have a four-hour erection, call your doctor? No, no. If you have a four-hour erection, call me. But kidding aside, a priaprism is a rare but uh, troublesome problem. I would like to note, again, as a public service announcement, that there are some over-the-counter remedies you can consider if, upon taking Viagra or Cialis or Levitra, you find yourself with an erection longer than you'd anticipated. The common decongestant Sudafed may provide relief for you if you find yourself in this uncomfortable predicament. Sudafed has always worked well as a vasoconstrictor, which is why if you have a cold or bad allergies, you can take it and it will, it will help your stuffed-up head. Unfortunately, because it was abused by people trying to use its uh, anorexic properties to diet, basically massively overdose themselves, and in conjunction with the fact that you can take Sudafed and make crank with it if you're so inclined... Well, that stuff has resulted in it being somewhat restricted and you having to get it from behind the counter at your pharmacy and, you know, sign sign a book so I guess they can track you down if you do try and make crank in your bathtub. But it's one of those examples of a drug that is effective and cheap. So I would add as a physician that you, you can consider using it for a variety of complaints, including erectile dysfunction. Of course, when they run those direct-to-the-public ads on, on television, they, they tend to, uh, to list uh, the number of things that can go wrong, which is, you know, a list extending as long as your arm, you know, inclu- including death, usually, which they'll throw in. And they'll, they'll, they'll put it in there in such a, a cheerful way that you don't really notice it. But among the troublesome side effects of this class of medications can be very annoying headache and stuffiness associated with the vasodilation you want for its other happy effects. This is something to think about, but of course I hasten to add, <laughs> when in doubt, consult your physician. And Mr. McMillan, I don't, I don't think we're going to, to uh, actually invoke the Jackass of the Week award for this item, but he's, he's skating on some thin ice. Apparently Daredevil Felix Baumgardner wants to break the sound barrier with just his body. A piece in The Week magazine, quoting Matt Rudd in the Sunday Times of the UK, said that uh, Baumgartner wants to be the first human to break the sound barrier without the help of an airplane. Well, I got news for Mr. Matt Rudd over in the UK. It's been done. It was done back in the 60s, and it wasn't done by Felix Baumgartner. Baumgartner is just trying to be the second guy to jump out of a uh, a high-altitude balloon and do this. Note of the Sunday Times, he'll be in free fall for about five minutes before opening a parachute at 5,000 feet. 
Because it's the part I love. Noted Mr. Matt Rudd, there are many dangers, but the greatest is that he'll enter in an uncontrollable spin when he hits Mach 1. Supersonic speed will not destroy you because of air density, he says with no emotion. If you start flat spinning, the spin will get faster as you get lower and the air thickens. It'll get so fast you won't be able to stop it anymore. Spinning at 150 RPMs, there's only one way your blood can leave your body, and that's through your eyes. Again, noted Matt Rudd, the truth is, no one really knows what will happen. This is uncharted territory. Except for the guy that did it before. Baumgartner, 43, admits to fear, but he'll press ahead. I don't have to put myself in danger to be happy, he says. But I have to have a challenge. Doing all these jumps from buildings wasn't satisfying anymore. I've done everything I can think of. It was time to move on. Now, I hate to try and diagnose a narcissistic personality disorder based on a few quips in a news story, so I guess I won't. But I will point out to a alleged journalist, Matt Rudd, that he might want to try some exotic research tools like Wikipedia to discover that it's Joseph William Kittinger II, former command pilot and career military officer who holds that world record from 19 miles or 31 kilometers up, done back on August 16th, 1960. Actually, that was the last and highest of his high-altitude jumps, 102,800 feet. And uh, the bit about the flat spin, well, they know that might happen because it happened to Kittinger. When jumping from 76,000 feet in 1959, he did go into a flat spin with a rotational velocity of about 120 revolutions per minute, or if you prefer... Two per second, but he was saved by an automatic parachute opener. Kittinger, by the way, had some other uh, records to his credit. In addition to holding the record for the still highest, fastest, and longest skydive, he's the first man to make a solo crossing of the Atlantic Ocean in a gas balloon. He also served as a fighter pilot during the Vietnam War and was shot down and spent 11 months in a North Vietnamese prison. Kittinger's still alive, he's still interested in ballooning, and he set a gas balloon world distance record as recently as 1983, although that one's apparently been broken since. And I can't resist noting that, according to Wikipedia, Kittinger is currently advising Felix Baumgartner on his planned free fall from 120,000 feet. The project is called the Red Bull Stratos Project and has collected leading experts in the field of aeronautics, medicine, and engineering to assure its success. According to Wikipedia, which I'll, which I'll bet is also Baumgartner propaganda, if his jump is successful, he will become the first person ever to break the sound barrier while in free fall. Well, I'm pretty sure Kittinger did it. But we will leave the math up to the physics or engineering departments. And we're going to look into this one. Anyway, noted the piece, although the jump was originally planned for 2010, it has been delayed by a legal case between Red Bull and promoter Daniel Hogan, who claims that he was the first to propose the jump to Red Bull in 2004 and alleges that Red Bull backed out before resurrecting the project some years later. Yes, that lawsuit, I guess, was resolved out of court in June of last year, and some two test jumps were made in March of this year. We'll see how Baumgartner makes out when he finally jumps from a balloon, if he ever does. I don't know what it is about this story, but something about it just seems familiar. Hmm. Kind of reminds me of an old fire sign theater bit. 
This is Pat Hat, and I'm here in the desert with Rebus Kenebus. Here where tomorrow, over 210 fine million Americans will turn their 422 million blue eyes upon this man. And it's got to be a fake. No, this is no fake, Pat. I'm gonna fall into the biggest goddamn hole anybody's ever seen. He's referring, of course, to the hole that many people says goes directly to the center of the earth. That's right, Pat. Now, the only other thing that's been down there before me is that comet. Aren't you scared, Rebus? I'm not as scared as you are, Pat. I got the best equipment. I got the special trick shoes and a reverse drag chute. When will you open the parachute? Well, I may never get to know that, Pat. They say I may fall. <laughs> they say I may fall into the sun at the center of the earth. Or you could go all the way through and be projected into orbit over Kathmandu. That's why I've got the parachute. Well, as Sid Fudd, the great scientist sportsman, once said to me, "What oh. goes down must come out." Pat, I'm not down and out. Live or die, I'll make a million. You're insane, Rebus. I'm not any more insane than the hundreds and thousands of my fans who come here to help me have the biggest goddamn party the stinking desert's ever seen before I are take that jump Are you worried about tomorrow. the weather? There are reports that flash floods are coming along the chilly Colorado. What if the big river floods into the hole? I'm not worried about that, Pat. It'll either make the hole slicker for me or, or it'll, it'll put, put out, out the, the sun in the center of the earth. While I don't want to sanction stupidity as our national sport, still I have to admire this little man's dogged nerve and rubber determination. Yes, it's a small step for this square little fellow, but he's taking a big fall for all mankind. This is Pat Hat here by the big hole at Pac Well outside Curio, Arizona. <laughs>